As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a new neighbor and a new friend and a very gifted author, teacher, guide, Ayurvedic counselor, Claire Ragazzino is how I want to say your name because I've lived in Italy. Ragazzino. And I want to welcome you first to the podcast. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And I just want to teach my listener a little bit about you before I start waxing poetic about your gorgeous book. Claire is a certified yoga instructor and Ayurvedic counselor. She has a background in holistic nutrition and natural cooking. Her work is dedicated to bringing yoga, Ayurveda, and nutrition to our very sorely modern lifestyle. She's the author of the very popular site called the Vidya Living. If you don't know how that's spelled, it's V as in Victor, I, D as in David, Y, A, Living. And she writes and also photographs for online and print publications on topics of food and culture and our relation to nature. It's really nice, uh, Claire, to finally, you know, speak to you in person and not just over the interwebs. <laughs> Absolutely. Claire's book is beautiful. If you haven't seen it, I want you to go look it up right now. It's called Living Ayurveda. I'm holding it in my hands and I'm not letting go of it. During this podcast, you're going to hear me like turning pages and <clears throat> breaking the back of the book. Her photographs are epic. So inspiring. And if you're really done with how your house feels, you're done with how your diet feels, you're done with how your body feels, I swear, this is a really solid foundational place with which to begin. Living Ayurveda is, um, you know, it reminds me of my favorite aspects of working on art of attention. Because you went sort of to a very, um, what do I want to say? It's so editorial and it's local. Like now that I live in Santa Fe, I feel all the local vibrations in this book. It's completely here. What is Ayurveda and how can you begin to make sense of this wisdom is literally the first line of the book after the introduction. And you say that you like to think of Ayurveda as a language. Listener, hear me. Ayurveda as a language that helps us describe the natural world and our relationship to it. Claire remembers living in Paris and trying to learn French, and at first the language was difficult to grasp and to translate, and then she started taking yoga classes at a nearby studio. Since she knew what the different parts of the body and breath were in the yoga sequences, she started to learn French from doing yoga en français, and it became more intuitive when she applied it to her own physical experience. 
This is exactly how she recommends approaching Ayurveda, which I love, and we're going to talk about this now. You take in the information slowly. Don't get it too heady. Don't get hung up on all the Sanskrit words and concepts. And instead, just look at the ways in which you can identify the qualities of the elements, the doshas, in your own body and mind. And then the concept slowly becomes second nature. I truly appreciated that. Is that a metaphor, a simile, metaphor? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's exactly how it should be with any topic, but especially with Ayurveda, because I found myself moving away from it years ago because it was like I took one class and I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's just too much information. I don't feel like it all applies to me. And when I started to look through your book and I started to see, I really was more Pitta in New York. I'm now more Vata. Like I can see how things shift and I can, I can intuit what would be of most benefit right now and even back then. So I want to thank you for simplifying it. Um, how did you find Ayurveda personally? Yeah, well, for me, I've had a, a long journey of struggling with my digestion and started in my early teens and I saw doctor after doctor and they had no answer and I had upper GIs and lower GIs. And, and this was kind of pre the green wave of our eating and the organic craze. And uh, in high school, I actually lived on a small island in Alaska. There wasn't a lot there, but there was one health food store. And I would spend every day after school reading all the books on their little library shelf. And one of them was Healing with Whole Foods with Paul Pitchford, which really digs into macrobiotics and touches in a little bit on Ayurveda. And then I found Dr. Laud's really simple, basic primer. It's called Ayurveda, Science of Self-Healing. And Can we spell um, Dr. Laud first? I want to just say his name is Dr. Vasant, V-A-S-A-N-T, Laud, L-A-D. And if you are going to go to, you know, one of the sources, this is a great one to start with. Thank you. Yeah, he, he does a brilliant job translating the esoteric of Ayurveda, the very practical medical science of Ayurveda, and then really applying it to the mind of a Westerner. Yet, you know, at 16, it was still way over my head. And then again at 19, when I discovered it again, it was still overwhelming. You know, I, I couldn't understand how to apply these terms to my life. And so I was practicing a lot of yoga at the time, and I really wanted to get to know the sister science, but I kind of kept returning to, you know, more modern approaches to diet and gut health. And there's no shortage of information on diet and gut health out there right now. So much so it's really overwhelming, just as overwhelming yeah, as I is. found Ayurveda, you know, don't eat, don't eat fat, don't eat carbs, take this probiotic, don't take that probiotic, you need this enzyme, not that enzyme. And I, I would say I kind of surfed the waves of trends for many years. And then I um, found myself working as a raw food chef, <laughs> still trying to heal my digestion into my 20s. And I was living in the Midwest at the time. And there was um, a raw food culinary school I was working at. And there I was eating all, you know, the best enzymes, the best superfoods, these big smoothies. I'd make these like 32 ounce smoothies in a mason jar and then sit on a hot pack <laughs> and tell myself in the middle of winter I was doing the right thing. 
but I still struggled with my digestion, even though I thought, you know, from my head, these were, this was the way to live. And so it was actually a bowl of soup. And I wrote about this in my introduction. It was a bowl of soup from uh, a new boyfriend at the time who said, why don't I, why don't I cook you a nice soup? And I remember thinking, God, I can't eat that. It's not raw. You know, it doesn't have all the best Mm -hmm. this and that in it. And um, it was December and there I was eating raw kale salads and superfood smoothies and pineapples and cashews in the Midwest. I mean, it couldn't have been more disconnected (laughs) from nature. And I was living from my head so much, but it was this bowl of soup that was kind of my light bulb moment. I ate a bowl out of respect and uh, he'd spent so much time cooking it and put so much love into it. And And I ate that bowl of soup and it was like my whole body said, hell yes. (laughs) I could feel that nod in my stomach softening and I had another bowl and I I felt great. And I thought, what is this cooked food wizardry? And in that moment, you know, I'd been reading a lot of Ayurveda. I'd even gone to India. I'd spent time in Southern India, the birthplace of Ayurveda. I'd studied it, but I wasn't living it. It was still concepts. And there was something about that bowl of soup that shifted how I approached my health that day forward. At the time, I was practicing very intensive Ashtanga yoga. I had a bulging disc in my L4, L5. And I remember feeling so agitated, like practice through the pain. You're not doing yoga if you're not doing primary and second series. And and very much so, I I approached my, uh, my nutrition and my whole body health in that same way of control and manipulation and hard discipline and not a lot of grace, not a lot of nurturance. And there was something about that loving, warm bowl of soup that kind of melted my rigidity, that kind of melted this harsh walls of my mind. And those words that I read from Dr. Laud started to kind of seep in in a new way. It wasn't just, here's how you're supposed to eat for your body type. You are this dosha. It was, oh, you know, here's what the doshas are, here's what the elements look and feel like. And then if you're feeling very cold and dry, why not balance it with something warm and oily and hot like a soup? And so that soup then kind of initiated this whole new approach to my studies. And I started to really pursue Ayurveda as my main well that I wanted to dig deep. And so for the last decade or so, I've been going deeper into my Ayurveda studies and looking at how to live with a little bit more grace and awareness of these uh, natural rhythms that Ayurveda can teach us. Mm. My listener and I need to know what was in that soup. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, it was like sweet potatoes, something, something. I don't know. It was just delicious. And uh, soup's like a mainstay in my diet now. (laughs) And you have some soup recipes in your book, obviously. I do. I do have a great fennel, kabocha, red lentil soup that I love and um, some other fun ones for wintertime now. Oh, good. Because I, I was thinking about making the fennel kabocha one tonight, but then if you have a better recommendation for winter. Uh, make make that one. It still applies. It still applies to the season. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> The beet tartlets are on my list for later this week. Those have been a popular one this week. I've seen a couple of friends making those. It's really fun. Less traditional Ayurveda, I'll say, but still fun. Mm -hmm. No, no. So what? It's like, I'll be totally frank. I've been raw. I've been vegan. I've been utterly anorexic at 17. 
all of these things are very familiar storylines for me. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the savory beet tartlets, I go, oh, this satisfies every one of those little girls inside <laughs> of me. Like there's a cake involved. There's sort of a, a sweetness. And there's also your beets, the veggies, the word savory and the word tartlet in the same <laughs> breath. I'm in. I love um, it. I appreciate also the mung soup recipe. The braised winter greens taught me a lot about how to cook that stuff. I didn't realize the black eyed pea and pumpkin stew. So many good things. Um, you know, obviously I'm talking to you in the dead of winter. So these are the things that I'm kind of swooning over. Um, when it comes to the seasons, and I also appreciated that you have a really nice yoga practice in there for each one of these times of the year. Um, when it comes to the seasons though, can you speak a little bit, and I'm just going to be quiet for a little while, speak a little bit about what each season kind of represents and, and how we're to respect the seasons in terms of how we treat our body and what we put into it. That's a great question. I, I think seasons are not necessarily definitive. A lot of this depends on your environment. So I'm living, we're both living in the high deserts of New Mexico, where there's a lot of air and space. Everything is vast and open. It's often windy, it's dry, it's cold. So that would be this more vata type environment that we would pay attention to. Yet, as you move through the course of the year, you'll notice there's there are pretty distinct seasons here. Let's say you're living in the tropics. I used to live on Kauai for several years and, you know, there's like one and a half seasons there. So a lot of what you're doing with Ayurveda is paying attention to these subtle shifts in your surrounding environment. And that can be marked by the four seasons of our, of our calendar year, looking at the spring uh, equinox, the summer solstice, the fall equinox and the winter solstice. And that's kind of how I divided this book. But in classical Ayurveda, there's actually six seasons because there's a, a rainy season and a and a, kind of a post-monsoon season in India. So this body of knowledge does come from India, yet it really is applicable anywhere you are because it's understanding these kind of universal laws, these principles of nature. And I think so much we rely on now is apps and technology telling us when we're going to menstruate, when we should sleep, how well our sleep was, what, you know, like every aspect of life is kind of plotted out by technology. And I love this wisdom of Ayurveda because it teaches us how to pay attention. You know, I call it a language because it allows us to understand what's happening around us and how that's influencing what's happening within us. And so the book is divided into four seasons because it's written here in North America, and many of us are reading it here in North America, or in the Northern Hemisphere, I should say. And how we start to pay attention, and when we start to pay attention to these changes, we do notice how we do have a rainy season. You know, in springtime, in late winter, really, in another month or two, all the snow is going to start to melt, the rain's going to move in. You're going to notice an increase of the water element. And there's going to be kind of a denseness. There's a slowness. When you come out of winter, sometimes we feel dull. Winter is sometimes called the season of the the sleepy bear, this hibernation time. It's a time where eating richer foods, when we have the digestive capacity, eating richer foods and 
And doing more rigorous exercise is great because it balances out that water and earth element of kapha dosha. And so you can see as we move from this late winter phase into spring, we want to start to adjust our diet to balance that as well. So what felt really nourishing, you know, those heavy, thick soups and stews, those, um, you know, more hibernating type practices don't feel so great come springtime. And that's naturally when we want to start lightening up to bring balance. So this idea of like increases like is a, is a really practical way to look at doshas versus reading a chart and saying, I'm kapha dosha, I should just eat this. We look at the seasons because it helps us to understand what's happening in the now. And this is where I think Ayurveda can get a little stagnant is when we just start to type ourselves. You might take a dosha quiz online and then all of a sudden you're following everything you should do for pitta dosha because that's what your quiz results were. So that's called your prakriti. This is your unique body type at birth. This is kind of your, your inner compass of balance. Um, and everyone has their own unique makeup influenced by their parents' genetics and constitutions, the type of birth you had, your early childhood experiences, all of that kind of imprints to create this unique soup of you called your prakriti, your body type. And that's how Ayurveda is presented a lot. But what we miss out then is then we start relying on charts and apps and things telling us what to eat and what to do, but we miss the beauty of paying attention to what's happening in the present moment. So living with the seasons allows you to pay attention to what's happening around you and different breath practices, different movement practices. It doesn't have to just be asana. It can also be, you know, if you're a runner, how you're running, how you're approaching caring for your body and your mind has subtle changes so you can stay in balance with the time of year. So when I was a raw food chef eating kale salads and cashews in the dead of winter, I was actually aggravating my digestive uh, imbalances by eating too many cold and dry foods. I already had enough cold and dry in my body, enough vata dosha. And so as we move through the year from spring, where we want to kind of lighten up, we want to do more active movement practices, we want to do more energizing breath practices, we want to eat foods that nature provides like sprouts and green things and the bitter astringent taste to help kind of naturally cleanse and get the juices of the gallbladder and the liver going to help us to just naturally reduce some of that heaviness we feel from that earth water element. Now, as we move to summer, it's hot. What do we want to do? We want to cool down. So going to a hot base blast in yoga class, you know, a heated class might be kind of aggravating, especially if you're someone who already has a lot of fire in their constitution. So summer is dominated by pitta dosha. This is the fire element predominantly with a little bit of water. And we want to eat foods that are around us, like juicy melons, ripe fruits, um, you know, leafy greens and things like this, the bitter the astringent and the sweet tastes help us to naturally cool the body down. This can also come from, you know, cooked whole grains or even summer type soups. But we're not eating that heavy stews and lots of heating spices like peppers and ginger, garlic and onions in the summer because it could fan those flames a little too high. And so we do practices like sitali, helping to 
cool the body down through the breath. We pay attention to our level of intensity because that fire element is what can get us super intense and critical, self-critical or critical of everyone around us. You know, we can become too competitive. These are aspects of pitta when in excess. And then as we start to shift into fall, fall is vata time of year, this time where the air and space elements rush in. And you see that with things drying up, you know, your garden starts to dry up, the leaves start to change, the winds increase. And equally, this is a time when you have too much vata, you can start to feel spacey, you can start to feel ungrounded, disconnected from yourself, um, fearful, anxious, all of these are signs that doing practices that bring in those opposite qualities to decrease that increasing air, the mobility of air, that vastness of space. We want to do practices that are grounding, stabilizing, calming, that support the nervous system. And so when we, we want to also eat foods that mimic that as well. The sweet taste, the sour taste, the pungent, little bit of pungent, and the salty tastes help us to all balance some of those rising airy qualities. And it's, it's so simple once you really give it a try. And some of these things that you might notice through the course of a year, like I had a client once who said, every year since I had my child and I moved to a new state, I am gripped with anxiety every fall. Come October, I can't even function. And with just a couple little shifts in how she was approaching her food, breath, and movement practices, she was able to subside and calm that anxiety. And it didn't take a whole revolution of what she was doing. It just took simple little shifts that she could apply in her every day. And I think that's where the power of you know, diet and lifestyle come into, come into play with Ayurveda is that it has a cumulative positive effect when you learn how to pay attention and apply this wisdom of the changing seasons, of the changing elements and doshas, to your body and mind. Yeah, I feel that. What's I think what's most important is the willingness to get a little brave and cook things that you don't normally cook. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of spices and things that we are not used to in this country or in Italy or in France or in even Greece, wherever. And to get accustomed to and even masterful with fenugreek and coriander and black lentils and asfatida and all the all the things that we use in this sort of cooking i feel like so empowered by your book mm. because it's it lays everything out in a very simple way i can make dosa i can make mung bean i'm blanking on the word right now oh my god kitchery oh my god <laughs> but those things, you know, I never would have felt comfortable making them. And now your book has helped me kind of be like, all right, I could do that too. It takes 30 minutes and I'm going to rock it. And it's really nice to get to know these different spices and feel them in my body, most importantly. And I think too, you know, yes, Ayurveda comes from India. Yes, a lot of the traditional cookbooks have an Indian cuisine influence just because of by nature where it comes from but you can absolutely cook your favorite Italian dishes with Ayurvedic principles. I think we, we think everything has to be dull and or everything has to be vegetarian. This is a big one. 
the classics of Ayurveda don't actually say don't eat meat. You know, they're, they say eat meat medicinally, and here's how these different animal proteins will affect your body and mind, will affect the doshas. It's about really breaking down the six tastes and understanding how, let's say something like a hot dog with mustard, right? Mustard is pungent, has a heating taste. It has a fire element. What does it do? It helps to increase digestibility of something. And so, you know, a hot dog and mustard is a silly example, but even just having that mustard adds a familiar taste to something in a Western palate while also increasing the digestibility of it. So everything that we're doing is about preparing our food and preparing our bodies to receive what we're cooking. And I say, if you're really unfamiliar with these spices, go with the familiar. You know, garlic has a similar effect. And if garlic you're finding is too heating for you, a pinch of asafoetida, which is also a pungent spice, is another way to introduce that um, pungent taste into your diet and try a new spice that has a similar flavor to onions and garlic. I just, you know, my, my intro to the book is all about being a curious observer. And I think when you can approach something not as you have to do all of this right, you have to cook the mung beans exactly in this way, but to be playful with it, to have fun, to try something new and say like, for this month, I'm just going to try cardamom in my oatmeal, see what it tastes like. Cardamom is the best thing that ever happened to me. You know what? Oh my God. I I travel with cardamom. (laughs) Of course. No, of, of course. I I bring the essential oil wherever I go and I, I use it on my belly when my belly is upset. Diluted. Oh my God, it's the best thing. So fast. It, it works in moments. Yeah. So there's all these different ways to get to know these spices, to get to know these ingredients, to get to know how does my stomach feel when I eat this way? How does... Um, how does my mind feel when I do this type of meditation or this breath practice? I think the more that we can just play with it and try things out, the more realistic it becomes in your daily life. Yeah. Um, Chapati, can I make those with gluten-free flour? I was waiting to interview you to ask you. Totally. Yeah. I've made chapati before with um, a mix of brown rice and quinoa flour is one combo. I even have a a note in the bottom of that recipe on variations for making a gluten-free version. Okay, perfect. And then the chaiwanprash, Prash. (laughs) please help me because I need to make these truffles like yesterday. Where do I get that chaiwanprash? Should I just get it on Amazon? One of my favorite companies is actually called Lotus Blooming. Lotus Blooming Herbs, and they make a really nice chaiwanprash. It is super fresh. It has their kind of traditional formula made at a specific lunar time, lunar cycle, mm-hmm. time of the year, and with all of the herbs and honey. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very sweet. It's considered, it's called a rasayana, meaning it helps to build up our juice a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And this is super important when you've been depleted. And I think we can all fairly say we're kind of running on half empty in our society most of the time. And, you know, cleansing has gotten super popular. When I first started my business a decade ago, I was doing raw foods and juice cleansing all the time, but I was missing that important aspect of the cleanse, which is to rebuild the body after you cleanse. And so we don't continue in depletion. Cleansing is all about lightening and 
wicking away and taking things away from the body. And mm-hmm. that Rasayana period is so important to help rebuild our strength, our vitality, our ojas. And Chavanprash is a traditional herbal jam that's included often in this Rasayana process. And so these little truffles are like fun snacks or alternatives to dry packaged uh, health food bars or energy snack bars, and they can be made in advance. And I, they're like kid approved too. I've had a couple kids improve them. Right, <laughs> right. Kid approval is very important. Um, I'm also going to rock the Kitchery burgers in the next week, which I'm excited about. Awesome. Kitchery has kind of become the poster child of Ayurvedic eating. And again, it's not all just about Kitchery, but Kitchery is an awesome dish for boosting your digestive fire if you've eaten a lot of complex foods or have been traveling and you, you know, your stomach feels a little off. Kitchery is a great one pot meal that you can make. It's usually made from um, yellow split mung beans, mung dal, and then basmati rice and spices. And you can do super simple, simple spices. You can play around adding more spices to it. I have a couple of seasonal variations in the book to check out, but if you've ever done a kitchery cleanse, the last thing you want to do is eat another bowl of kitchery when you're bored. So I loved the kitchery burgers because it's a fun way to play around with what you would normally put in that one pot, but shape them into uh, a little patty and add some chutney on top or try something different. The yeah. sushi rice yeah. is what binds it together. That's an important component to that one which I weirdly happen to have because we've started to make our own sushi, which is the most ridiculous. <sighs> that sounds great. James, my boyfriend has like a weird facility. He used to go back in the day when he lived in New York and um, he knew a sushi chef. He would go eat at this restaurant and then the sushi chef would let him come in the back and learn how to roll rolls. Oh, awesome. So I'm the hand roll girl. <laughs> nice. I'm killer at hand rolls. And he like slays a maki roll. So we have sushi rice in the house, which is why I want to make the kitchery burgers. Got to drive down for dinner at your house. That sounds great. Let's go. Um, Last question. When it comes to your, there's a a chai that you have, the chai hot chocolate. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired that? Because I'm kind of dying over that in the Shadavari Rose latte. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone loves a good chai. Um, and it's a great way to bring digestive boosting spices into a little drink, a warming drink. And it's really simple to do. In fact, we've been snowshoeing the last week or so up here in the mountains and always pack a big thermos of it because it gives you that good internal warmth. But cacao powder, or cocoa powder can be really heating. So I started playing around with, they're not even plant cousins, but they have a similar kind of hearty rich taste to it i've been using carob powder so for someone who feels sensitive to the stimulating effects of chocolate of cacao carob is a fun alternative in that recipe and so it uses just ground spices cinnamon coriander excuse me not coriander although that probably would be pretty good uh, cinnamon cardamom a little ginger and a little clove usually what you would find in a chai mix and then you blend that up with um, a hot milk of your choice, and you can add uh, a little bit of maple syrup to sweeten to it. And it just makes a really nice, simple hot chocolate. It's just a fun, warming wintertime recipe and a great way to play around with spices. Also mm. kid approved. Also kid approved. The last one I want to talk about is just in case my listener is listening to this spring or summer, 
The rehydration lemonade blows my mind, and it totally satisfies the raw, formerly anorexic girl. <laughs> um, four cups of warm water, half a cup of lemon juice, two tablespoons of raw honey, half a teaspoon of ground turmeric, and one quarter teaspoon of mineral salt. Combine all of the ingredients in a large quart-sized mason jar, seal with a lid, shake, the, shake it well, obviously dissolve the honey and salt, and then place in the fridge. And it keeps for like two to three days. It's such a nice drink to have around, obviously not in the winter time, but in the summer, spring, I can't even. It's so good. It's so good. You know, I, it's so good. I remember as a kid, I grew up on like Lunchables and Go-Gurts and these funny little packaged Dude, foods. Dude, same. And I would them. pray for Lunchables. <laughs> My mother would make me bologna sandwiches on Thomas's English muffins, and she would put in a granola bar that actually my kid really likes still, which is not terrible. Nature's Valley? And, <laughs> exactly. No, not Nature's Valley. No, I was not a fan. It's the Quaker one, the chocolate oh, chip. Totally. <laughs> it's really good. Anyway, he, like, he eats boxes of those. But I would beg her for Lunchables, and luckily... She was, I mean, luckily now, then I was just pissed. <laughs> I want, All I wanted was those little plastic containers where everything was organized into, and little did I know they were disgusting. I bought them once just to like see what I was all freaked out about and oh, what I wanted so them. They're so they're bad. They're so bad. They're so bad. So like oh with that, remember the, the neon yellow Gatorade? Yeah. This is like the ode to your childhood Gatorade, except instead of high fructose corn syrup and yellow five, you get turmeric, which makes it this beautiful, vibrant yellow. Right. And then a little pinch of and salt. And anti-inflammatory properties and soothing for almost every system of your body. Exactly. And it reduces excess heat. It has some of that astringent taste and quality to it. So a little bit of turmeric, a little bit of sweetness to help your body take up that uh, nutrition. And then a pinch of salt because salt actually helps to rebalance the kidneys if they've been dehydrated. So you might even be drinking too much water in the day and always feeling thirsty or just like most of us not drinking enough. And this is this little rehydration drink is great when you're feeling so thirsty, but you just can't seem to get enough water. And my, yeah. my, my boyfriend's a endurance athlete. He does ultra marathons. And so I always make this drink when he comes back from a run and it's amazing how effective it is. Super simple to do. Again, little simple shifts that you can make without uh, having to transform everything you do. Yeah, I really appreciated that. <clears throat> There's so much in here. I could just go on about the rest of this for days, <laughs> but I'm just going to say to my listener, pick up this book, Living Ayurveda. If you're feeling like you're really bored with how you're cooking and you're feeling like you're bored with even the cookbooks that you have or the recipes that you're working with, just get this book. It's beautiful. You'll be happy. I have it on my special bookshelf. I don't even have it with the cookbooks. I have it in the living room. Somebody will come over and you'll see it because it goes with all the other beautiful, you know, I have Athena's book. Um, Athena Calderon is a really one. good friend of mine. It goes with all of those things. I love that. So beautiful. So, listener, grab this book, Claire Ragazzino, vidyaliving.com. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Claire. And um, more soon. And as soon as the coast is clear, girl, we are hanging out. Please. I would love that. I cannot My wait word. for real people time. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. 
Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.